This is Laura Deardo with the Becker's Digital Health Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. William Caracino, CMIO of Lee Health in Fort Myers, Florida. Dr. Caracino, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, I know we've got a lot to talk about, a lot happening in healthcare and IT right now, but before we dive into our discussion, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. Um, I'm originally from the New York, New Jersey area. I was born and raised in New Jersey, and I trained um, as a neurologist in Manhattan at, at Mount Sinai Hospital. I practiced a couple years in New Jersey, then I moved down here to practice with a fellow resident uh, in neurology. I ultimately joined a large group down here and um, became board certified in neurology. I had an interest in computerization of the records and I helped guide my group to become Epic's first Community Connect partner with Lee Health more than a decade ago. That piqued my interest so much that I ended up accepting a job as a medical director for informatics and ultimately was appointed the CMIO at Lee Health just around 10 years ago. During that tenure, I became board certified in clinical informatics. And over the years, I have taken on more responsibilities to currently include the medical informatics team the technology education team, which educates all things technology to most folks in the organization, and the digital transformation team, formerly the virtual health and telemedicine team. Fantastic. Wow. So, you know, given all of those different experiences you have, it sounds like, you know, you really have jumped into the health IT role in, in informatics. Is that something that you were always interested in, or did you find that somewhere along the way in your career journey? That's a good question. It's a very good question. You know, it's quite interesting. When you, when you look at people's life journeys and you ask questions like that, many people would say, no, it's a new interest or, or something along those lines. But you start thinking back to little bits and pieces of, of projects or accomplishments that you um, achieved during your life. And, when people ask me this question, I think back to my to my chief of service in Mount Sinai Hospital. I wrote a little small program to to work on managing patient lists in in a very old um, software program and a very old hardware computer. And um, the chief of staff was Dr. Mel Yar, who was famous for the Yar score for Parkinson's. And I was chief resident, and at and at the time he would give the graduating chief residents a little gift. And he gave me an integrated circuit tie clip. And I thought that was interesting that he thought I was so facile at technology and computers that that's what made him, that's what he thought about when he thought of me. But when you think back, that's a, uh, that's a stake in the ground, right? That was one, one of the bits and pieces that ended up changing the, the life path. So the answer to your question is, yeah, I think I've been always interested in technology and how to apply it. Fascinating. And I love that little story. It's just kind of, like you said, illuminates, you know, who you are and how your career has gone. So when you think about your roles as a clinician, as well as in the IT side, what are you most excited about right now? Sure. This is an extraordinarily exciting time uh, for technology in clinical side. Um, I'm uh, excited about a couple things. I'm really excited about artificial intelligence. Some of artificial intelligence in what's being battered about is probably a buzzword, 
But I do think that we are just about ready to see some significant strides in artificial intelligence and helping the provider care for the patients. You think about it, in training, there was always the chief of staff or, or that really smart clinician who was able to listen to residents and hear the bits and pieces of the story that uh, were most important for the diagnostic differential. And I wonder, shouldn't we be able to do that? If we feed in uh, diagnostic impressions, physical exam, um, particularly important uh, questions and keywords, as well as some linkage to, to ongoing uh, up-to-date or other technology uh, uh, information such as up-to-date, um, as well as the national data banks of the of the of the depart of the, the the associations, we should be able to do some sort of a, a, a screen scrape, natural language processing, and guide that clinician to to diagnoses and workups. I've seen some of that from some of the vendors, and I think it's very early. Uh, somewhat rudimentary, but that's what I'm most excited about, where the, these AI diagnosis bots could help look through the chart, which is becoming increasingly and significantly complex, and, and help point you to the, the, the pieces of information that are most important for that patient. For instance, if you use a diagnosis and you talk about, for instance, neuropathy, then it could look through the chart and suggest um, uh, genetic testing, um, depending upon what the patient's history was, uh, talk, uh, toxicology screens, and all the other blood tests that go along with neuropathy testing, and sort of compile it automatically for you. We were at the at the precipice of that with, uh, with CAPD, Computer Assisted Provider Documentation, but I think that's what I'm really excited about. You pair that with the ability to document that. Um, or at least tee up the documentation to decrease the documentation burden. And I think that's going to be the most exciting um, uh, development that I'd like to see. The voice assistants, the Alexa, Googles, and the Epics are also pretty exciting because they're, they're starting to see some significant benefit and real work done uh, of them helping the provider as well as the patient in, when they're hospitalized at home or when they're preparing a a diagnostic or a chart documentation. So that's another area that I'm keeping an eye on. That's so interesting. So looking at, you know, some, some of the artificial intelligence, natural language processing for diagnoses and in grabbing some of those notes from physicians and guiding them in, in some of the decision making, as well as looking at um, the voice assistance for um, healthcare and some of the benefits there. I think that's really exciting, as you mentioned. Um, all those different things working together to make the healthcare environment um, just that much better for the patient, improve outcomes and those kinds of things. Do you see uh, physicians really being um, warming up to these type of technology integration into the way that they're practicing and some of the things that they had normally done? Or is it sometimes a, a challenge to kind of integrate all this into the workflows that they're used to? It's a serious challenge. So one of, the, one of the phrases I've, I've been batting about, and I'm not sure whether I heard it somewhere or made it up, but get, have, keeping the physicians digitally enabled. If there's a difference between a provider who is in, who's, who's, who's at odds with the technology versus one who has embraced it and, and, and dives into it. You could argue that the technology should embrace the user, not vice versa, and I appreciate that. 
But on the other hand, I definitely see a difference. There are providers out there who are very facile and comfortable with the technology in their, their key performance indices, KPIs of how they care for patients, even simple things as portal signups are so dramatically different when you, when you can see that they're, 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 they're engaged with the computer and the technology, whether it be voice recognition or, or chats or, or, or these bots that I could be thinking about. Um, interesting way is I'm trying to sort out how we can, we can keep those physicians as digitally enabled. We revamped our, our, our onboarding program for physicians and we've seen significant accolades and benefits from it. I'm now thinking about trying to understand some way to, to develop a training program um, using probably multidimensional educational techniques to get these providers and physicians more engaged and show them the benefits. Um, physicians are very, uh, uh, very, very many oftentimes say, well, you have to show me the benefit before I'll start using it. So I'd like to somehow show them sort of an interaction between a patient, even in an artificial situation uh, that's technologically and digitally enabled versus one that's adversarial with the technology. I mean, the technology's not going away, right? We're going to get better at it. We're going to understand how to split the edges. We're, we're going to understand how to train the technology, integrate with the human uh, rather than vice versa. But at the end of the day, we really need to look at both ends of the spectrum. The, the human provider addressing, engaging the technology and the technology getting easier for the, to, to, to coexist with the humans. So that's going to be rather interesting. Absolutely. Wow. That's just fascinating to hear. Now, Dr. Karras, you know, I'd love to hear your perspective on what aspects of healthcare are primed for um, IT disruption. Is there any areas right now that you think, hey, you know, this is not where it could be and technology could, could help out here? Yeah, area. So what's going on is the, we've, we've started to see the benefits of discrete data points. And we now have interfaces and, and, and ways of getting data into the system that, that I could never have thought of 10, 20 years ago. And what's going on now is that data is now we're starting to see how to extrapolate or how to use it in a meaningful fashion. That meaningful use of data may actually be becoming realized. And anything that can be digitalized will be, will be prime for disruption. I, I read an article from, uh, a, a, the, I think he's the chief innovation officer from Texas Healthcare Resources this weekend. Oh, you, no, Texas Methodist. And he had a phrase that was just magical. I don't know if it was his or not, but he said, disrupt or be disrupted. And it says it all, right? So, so you, can be, you can go in and disrupt your processes, digitalize analog processes, and participate in the, in, the, in the digital transformation movement, or someone else will do it to you, for you, or with you. So uh, I, I can't see, I, I could come up with probably a couple aspects of healthcare uh, that could not, be, um, could not be disrupted or digitalized, but the lion's share is going to be um, a change of digitalizing all these processes from the old way of doing things, which is really uh, a Herculean task if you think about it. It took us hundreds of years to build this healthcare system, whether you think it's good or not, that's a different story. But the idea is, is we're looking to, we could potentially build an entirely separate but equal healthcare system. I said it before, the, the hospital of the future 
is likely going to be cloud-based, uh, and the points of connection to bricks and mortar hospitals are going to be sur complicated surgeries, ICU, and morgues. Um, because when you think about it, everything else can be done at home. You might even talk about some of the other pieces I just mentioned being done at home as well. To be done at home or in a different area with virtual evidence and virtual care. Got it. That, that's fascinating to hear. Now, I, I think before we wrap up our conversation, I had just one more question for you. What are the top challenges that you're preparing for over the next year or two? Yeah, I could say just everything we spoke about, right? So <laughs> we're trying to we're we're trying to figure out how's the old adage do more with less. So we're we're trying to uh, engage with the all important population health um, uh, uh, functionality, uh, which is going to be critical to really keep our health system uh, moving forward. We, we think about things, uh, keeping people out of the hospital, keeping them healthier, and giving and redirecting some of the overuse of services to the people who are uh, disadvantaged and unable to access these services. Um, I think one of the things we're talking a lot about now is is is, is if all healthcare, uh, all if the majority of healthcare could potentially be uh, conceptualized as moving to a virtual or digital space, what happens to the people who don't have access to the internet superhighway? And um, I've seen some some companies stepping up to try to try to try to uh, figure out how to fix this. Um, I'm on a board of um, a nonprofit board for for the pediatric uh, innovations that we're trying to uh, to do the same by um, distributing cell phones to the underprivileged teenage uh, children so they can actually access healthcare um, uh, more more readily. So um, I, I think there's uh, there's there's many top challenges, but I think those are some of the few. Got it. Absolutely. And I think that's so interesting in looking at, you know, that um, the digital transformation within healthcare and technology and how you still address health equity and access to care within those spaces. And so I appreciate you mentioning making sure that, you know, patients and teens have cell phones. Is there anything else that you're doing or, or thinking about when you look at um, making sure that, you know, the, the virtual care um, is accessible to everyone within the community? Um, we're just beginning with this. We do have uh, remote care session stations. Um, we are we just kicked off a remote patient monitoring um, um, project. So we have a, a lot of irons in the fire, but many of them um, are just warming up. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Well, Dr. Carasino, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fascinating discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you. It was good talking to you.